Lola, I sent you a private text uh, on the chat. I can't okay. access my, I can't, I'm using my phone. So please let nobody chat, uh, send me a chat because I won't be able to see it. I've seen your, your notes to Lola. It's come up in my feed as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's supposed to be sent to Lola. Again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's come to only me. <laughs> but it's gone to Sir Solomon, he said. No, he's joking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you heard what everything I was saying about you to Lola then. <laughs> I've read everything you said about me. And I, <laughs> I know also what you said about, about Ron and <laughs> Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Ron, you're on. You have need your video. Okay, thank you, Golda. Good, good morning, everyone, and wonderful to see. Good morning, everyone, and wonderful to see the many of you who have assembled this morning at our evangelism training and awareness day hosted by Kensington Temple. We have an amazing couple hours planned for you. We've assembled some practitioners. So many, many of those who are gonna be speaking to you are those who have actually done it. It's not just telling you how to do it, but they're gonna be speaking from experience. And you know, the scripture tells us very clearly to go and preach the gospel and go as widely as we can. And it talks about the harvest being plentiful and the workers being few. And so it's just this type of background that we wanna spend a little bit of time to you in this area of evangelism. Evangelism can be so wide. In, in some respects, sometimes we think about it as street evangelism. But in the process today, we hope that you widen or refresh in your thinking about the many, many opportunities offered to us to be involved in evangelism. Our government roadmap with respect to unlocking the country is going to help us quite a bit here. And, and I recognize we've been quite restricted in the last 11 months. But as of last Monday, you could have met with one person outdoors. Coming up at the end of the month of March, you can meet with groups of six outdoors. In April, if everything works out well, cafes uh, will start serving outside, outdoors. And so it's looking pretty good in terms of opportunities for evangelism. But hopefully our thoughts today will provoke you, remind you, and just bring you back to focus on this really important calling in our life. We're gonna be recording today's session. So I recognize many of you have turned your cameras off, which is great. But just to let you know, um, if you would prefer that your face not be shown on the recording, um, I would recommend you turn your camera off. This recording is going to be available on our church web website, kt.org. I'm gonna be sharing the hosting with you today with Lola. So at this point in time, let me hand over to you, Lola. Thank you very much, Ron. Okay, so I'm going to start off now with an opening prayer, after which um, I'll introduce our first speaker. 
Heavenly Father, we commit today onto your hands. We welcome you now, Mest, and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will move within us, oh God, that we won't just be receiving information, but having an encounter with you as well. We pray that you reignite the passion for evangelism where it has grown cold or where we've become wary, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And as for those who are stepping out for the first time, those lacking in boldness, those who um, want to start evangelism, we pray that you shall ignite that passion for evangelism in everyone in the name of Jesus. Father, we commit today unto your hands. We pray that we shall all have an encounter with you. We shall all be refreshed and reignited. We pray, Lord, that you bless all aspects of this webinar today. May there be much fruit, Lord, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So as um, Ron mentioned, um, uh, people have the misconception that um, evangelism is just street evangelism. There is more to evangelism than street evangelism. There's, there, we're going to be hearing different types of um, forms of um, evangelizing. So firstly, though, we're going to uh, welcome Pastor Kemi, who's going to talk to us on what is evangelism as well as evangelism and prayer. Welcome, Pastor Kemi. Good morning, and thank you for doing this. Good morning, and thank you. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome. Um, I'm going to be talking about evangelism. What I'll try to do to start with is to try and define it. It's my definition, so it may not necessarily uh, coincide with everybody else's, but because it is, um, it is quite, um, it, it, the way we perceive evangelism differs from, from person to person, but actually, biblically speaking, uh, the, the evangelism is a proclamation of the message of the good news of salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit that is made available to us. Uh, Jesus Christ's final instructions to the disciples was that we should go and make disciples of all nations. So the, the instruction is that we should go and proclaim the gospel. And um, in proclaiming the gospel, we find that it, it is not just us going. It is, we're going with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going in partnership. It reminds me of when I first came to know the Lord and we were told we we're going to be going, to, doing, going on evangelism. We were going to go on street evangelism, door to door, that kind of thing. And I would, I would I'd be scared stiff because I thought it all depended upon me. But actually, when we look at what happened in the, uh, in the New Testament, uh, we find that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Mark 16, 20, that the Lord worked with them. And, and, and as, they, as God worked with them, there were signs and the wonders that were being produced, even as they preached. So the, the disciples preached, we as Christians, we preach and God works. So it, it, it is, it, we, we are more or less the mouths that go forward to proclaim the gospel, but it is God that does all the work. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the presentation of the, the of, of, of this partnership actually we can see it in in the book of first uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, chapter 1 verses 4 to 10 and I think we must have it on the screen although it looks so small on my phone I, I can't see it but the representation of what happens the, this partnership in um, in evangelism uh, 
we, we can read this passage and uh, I'm gonna read it uh, in the Amplified Version. Uh, First Thessalonians chapter one, verses four to 10. So this is a very precious time here. <laughs> He said, brethren, beloved by God, we recognize and God has chosen you for our glad tidings came to you, not only in word, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with great conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your, for your good and you yourselves to become, were said to become imitators of us and through us of the Lord himself. For you welcomed our message in spite of the much persecution with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you thus became a pattern to all the believers uh, 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 in Macedonia and, and Achaia. For not only has the word concerning uh, the Lord resounded forth from you unmistakably in Macedonia and Achaia, but everywhere the report has gone forth of your faith in God. I just give the rest of it. So we find that we never need to tell people anything further, for they themselves volunteer testimony concerning us, telling what an entrance we had among you and how you turned to God from your idols to serve a God who is alive and true and genuine, and how you look forward to uh, the coming of his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who personally rescues and delivers out out of the wrath and punishment which is coming and draws us to himself, uh, etc. <laughs> the Amplified Bible always says a little bit more. So, so we see in this representation, uh, the, the different um, players, if I could call it that, of those who are in partnership in this, in this work of evangelism. First of all, we see God who chooses those that he wants to save. He chooses, he, he's chosen us to be saved. And then we see Jesus, who is the savior, who by the work that he, he did on the cross uh, has purchased salvation for us. And then we see, in this case it's Paul, but is the, the evangelist, is the, the average Christian who brings the message of the gospel. And then we see the power of the Holy Spirit coming to, to demonstrate the, 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 his ability to, to bring the word that is spoken alive in the heart of those who receive the message. And then of course, yeah, uh, the, 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 the message that the message that is preached is, is, the, is, is the story of Jesus. The, 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 that's the instrument by which people come to faith. And then, um, and then of course the believers come to faith and repentance. So it is a shared work, and although we are an important element in it, but it is not dependent upon us. It is dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit working upon us. And I want to also talk about the context of, uh, of in which we do evangelism. It is very, very important for us to understand that the Bible talks about uh, in, in, in Ephesians chapter two, about man's depravity, total depravity. The man without God is totally dead. Bible in verses one and two talks about you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were once walked in uh, when you followed the course of this air. And verse five also talks about it. You were dead in your, by your trespasses and sins. 
but Christ made you alive. So the, the, the average person who does not know the Lord is totally lost. It's like, I, I wanted to give us an image of somebody who is drowning, but we couldn't find one on the internet. But it's like somebody who is totally drowned is on the, at the bottom of the, of the, of the sea, is, is, is dead to everything and, and cannot help himself. He needs somebody to come and help him. That is, the, that's it. That is what, we, when we preach the gospel, we're preaching to somebody who has no idea he's lost. He needs, he needs to be delivered, he needs to be rescued, but <clears throat> he does not know that, uh, that he, he, he needs salvation. So, uh, and then of course the evangelist, he, the us, the average Christian, we have been called to do the work of evangelism. evangelism. We either proclaim it in a public place, either from the platform or even on the streets to a group of people, or we proclaim it on a one-to-one -one basis, maybe in our workplaces or our friends and whatever context we find ourselves. You know, the, these, are, these are the contexts in which we, we, we preach the, the, the gospel. So, there, so there's a work of, of, of proclamation. There's an opportunity that we have as Christians to give our testimony. And then we, we also have the uh, opportunity to invite people, like the, the people, the disciples in the, in the New Testament, like Andrew D said, come and meet Jesus. He invited his brother Peter to come and meet Jesus. Or, or, or the woman at the well, he went and called the people in the village, come and see a man who told me everything. So there's that aspect of the invitation that joins it. And then of course, the, in the proclaiming of the scriptures, we also, of the gospel, we also had the opportunity to improve the lives of those that we, we minister to. So the, the, the social action that accompanies it, whether in way, by way of caring for the poor or providing food for those who, who don't have any providing shelter and the various different, the different ways in which uh, as a church, we, we meet the need because Jesus called the, the, the preaching of the gospel as, as, as bringing life to people and, and changing the, the, the conditions of people. Uh, they, we, they, they, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We see the boldness of Peter on the day of Pentecost, even though he was regarded as an, an ignorant or uh, learned man. We spoke with such boldness and conviction, and that is the Holy Spirit working with him. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit who brings conviction. It, 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 is, not, it is not our uh, our wonderful way of speaking or, or uh, our polished diction or anything that does it. The conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, converse, the work of conversion is done by the Holy Spirit. Peter was kicking and screaming when he went to speak to, the, to Cornelius and his family. But while he was yet speaking, we see in Acts chapter 10, we see that the, 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 the people received the, 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 the Holy Spirit. They were converted and they received the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit also who brings the growth uh, uh, when, when, when we preach the gospel. Like on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were waiting for the day when that is going to come back to us that we see so many people want to the Lord. I must now run quickly to, the, to prayer and evangelism. Um, prayer, prayer is a, 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 a very, very important mm -hmm. because the initiative for evangelism is from God. Uh, the, 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 we need to look at the purpose of God. Romans 8, 29 talks about those whom God foreknew, 
that he destined them to be conformed to the image of his son. God's great love and and amazing grace towards us is such that because of his greatness, because of his power, God wants all men to come to to to, to salvation. And therefore he has poured out this love and because of of the of god's purpose we need to call to ask him please god what you wanted to do please do it we are calling god to accelerate the, what, what what he is doing and then god is the one who is pursuing us um we we we, we see that god so loved the world he gave his son and then that we have the promise of God that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. He'll give us, he'll give us eternal life. He'll give, he'll give us faith. He, he, he's God who gives repentance. Everything that is needful for salvation comes from God. Nothing comes from man. And therefore, we need to implore God to do what he said he would do. When we look at the context in which we do evangelism again, we we see that uh, one, like I mentioned before, man is totally ignorant that he's lost. When when you try to evangelize people, I remember once I was traveling on an airplane to India and there was this uh, man who was sitting beside me. I thought, great, I'm gonna evangelize him. And I tried to talk to him about Christ. And he just looked down on me and said, and of course, you know, in, the, the, in India, they have the caste system and I'm black and he was fairer than, much fairer than me. And then he, he said, you know, no, no, he just waved his hand off me and said, you know, the Christianity, that's for people in the lower caste who are trying to improve their, their, their ranking in the society. So he had no idea how he was lost to eternity if he didn't have Christ. So he had no knowledge about, about what he needed, that he needed Christ to, 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 for, for his salvation. Then secondly, the, the people's eyes are blinded. People are not aware that if they do not turn to Christ, they're not going to be able to to, to, to have salvation. They do not know that if the, 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 way, the way of life in which they're pursuing the things of this world is going to end them in difficulty. And, and so they need help. Uh, the, 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 the carnal man, the Bible tells us, is, 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 is foolishness. The things of the flesh is foolishness to the spirit. And, and therefore, they, 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 are, they are warring against the things of the spirit. And therefore, people need help. People who, who are carnal, people who do not know Christ yet, they need the help that we can bring them in the place of prayer. And there are other situations that, that are barriers to salvation. There are limiting circumstances that even if, even if people had a willingness or a desire, they, these circumstances pull them back from wanting to hear the gospel. So people may be ill, they may be in situations of hardship, they may not have a good home, they may, they may not have food to eat, they, their culture may, may even bar them. When you are a Muslim, you, 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 if you dare become a Christian, you, be out, you become an outcast. So there are all these circumstances that limit people to, to, to want to come to, to, the, uh, to Christ. And therefore, it, we, have a, 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 we, we only have to call upon God to, to come and change those situations so that people would be open 
to the gospel. They would understand the message and they would give their lives to Christ. And, and Jesus' command for us is that we should pray without ceasing. Christ wants us to pray. He gave the example by in his own life by praying at all times. We, we, we have examples in the Bible of Jesus Christ praying all night, praying in the morning, praying in the evening, praying before food, praying before performing a miracle. Jesus Christ prayed. If Jesus prayed, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We also, we have to pray. And, and, and so we follow Jesus Christ and we pray. We pray that for, we need to pray for the fullness of the Gentiles because this is one of the things that, that we are waiting for even at this time, but before Jesus Christ comes. So we pray that the Gentiles that need to be brought into salvation, we pray that they be brought into the fold. In, in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed that for those who are no, who had not yet been, been, been reached, those that his disciples we're going to be praying to we're going to be preaching to so those are the people that that are included so jesus jesus is praying for them now we enter our our intercession with his so that we can bring about his purposes we and we know that prayer brings a change to circumstances prayer prayer disposes people's hearts to listen to the gospel i'm sure uh, you, you may you must have had situations when uh, uh, somebody you wanted to, to share the gospel with before and they didn't want to know, and then all of a sudden they just come and ask you. I've had it here in, in, my, in the new place where I just moved to, and I'd been praying for my neighbors, and one of them just came to me one day and just started rattling off to me, you know, the needs in her family, gave me all the names of her children and asked me to pray for them. And so when we pray, God changes people's hearts. God moves and turn things around. Even our hearts become tender. Maybe we're judging people that we, 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 we are praying for, but when we begin to bring them before the Lord, our hearts become compassionate and we can begin to see their needs and we can bring them before the Lord. I have seen many situations, both in street evangelism here in London and, and overseas where God has turn situations around because we pray. And even when we go on street evangelism, even where we have a, a French congregation we're leading, but we go on the street, most people here in London, they are English speaking, God would bring us into contact with French speaking people. I will just meet them and then we, we, we can preach the gospel to them and many would come, come to with us to the church. Some don't because they go, they, they, they're probably just visiting, but we have the opportunity to, to, to preach the gospel to, to French speaking people. So when we pray, God will direct our, our prayers in the direction that he wants to go. I can see the time has gone. I, can't, I have to stop because uh, uh, this is how far I can go. Sorry. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Kemi, and uh, welcome to the many, many of you who have joined us since Pastor Kemi started speaking. We're up to about 107 now, I see, 110, climbing at the moment. Fantastic response. So, so glad you've joined us. Uh, we are in a, a training and evangelism awareness day session webinar, and uh, for those of you who are a little bit scared, intimidated, worried about getting involved in evangelism or those moments come up and you just you, you, you just don't want to make the next step because something's holding you back. Pastor Kemi's words were so, so reassuring. So remember that the Holy Spirit's with you. Secondly, she said something about, she said a couple of things about prayer and intercession actually, that one, 
Prayer changes things. Maybe even more importantly, prayer changes hearts. So this is not about us. This is about us following God's instructions and his will. So thank you so much for that, Pastor Kemi. For the many of you who have joined us, we're going to be going through till around one o'clock today. Um, we are... We are going to talk about street evangelism, but today's session is much, much, much wider than street evangelism. We want to provoke your thinking on many, many more opportunities and approaches to evangelism under the principles that uh, Pastor Kemi has just shared with us. The process we're going to follow is you're going to be hearing from several amazing people from Kensington Temple. Each is going to speak for around 10 minutes on a different aspect of uh, evangelism. So I'm going to introduce Vi Thomas, who is on Amanda's Primary 12, which means she heads up a number of women. And uh, Vi is going to tell us a little bit about friendship evangelism and what's been happening with her women. So over to you, Vi. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ron. I, can, I take it everyone can hear me? Yes. Right, okay. So we're just going to play a very short video. So I'll just wait for that to be loaded. video it just really reminds me that what we're trying to do in evangelism is to bring people into that family of God and it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 that the the love of Christ compels us we want to see people saved we want to see them experience the love of God in the security of being in the family of God so can I just check people are hearing me can I just put your thumbs up? Brilliant. And so we wanted to show you that because when it comes to friendship evangelism, as you saw from that very short clip, there's a wide range of ways in which we have reached out to family and friends and colleagues and neighbours and to bring them into that family and to bring them into those different parts of our lives. And so in that clip, you would have seen us celebrating our um, members of the family getting married someone being graduated, um, um, picnic in the park, and all different things, which is part of family life. And what we are trying to do is by evangelizing our family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues, we're trying to bring that into them into that household of the Lord in a natural and seamless way. And so I want to share some of the key things that we've done over the years, and picking up on some of the points that Pastor Kemi had said, which were fantastic. She said that what we're trying to do is to get people to come and meet Jesus. And we're doing it in a way that is natural and that is um, seamless, is what I'd say. Recognising that not everybody is confident, not everyone is confident 
to go out and do street evangelism. And not everyone is confident maybe to speak to the multitudes in Hyde Park Corner, which some people do do for evangelism. So the way in which we are evangelizing family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues, first of all, we're looking at the prayer of three. And in the prayer of three, we're praying for three key people. And we're really believing God for the opportunity to bring them into the kingdom of God. And in praying for those three people, what we have done in not just my generation, but across Kensington Temple, is that we begin to look for opportunities to invite those individuals into our church community. So it could be into um, a, a Sunday service or when Kensington Temple has an event like a concert or a play or a, a special, maybe a, Chris, a Christmas service, bringing them into that kind of surroundings. But what we also do is that within the G12 structure, the, um, the cell structure, we have opportunities for picnics and, and um, we, we do breakfast, breakfast events. And those are opportunities to bring in your colleagues because they find those settings non-threatening and not too alien to them. For someone to come from maybe a work environment into a church environment, sometimes that can be a bit jarring and they can feel uncomfortable. So we do provide other opportunities to reach out to family, friends. And we found that the breakfasts work really, people love breakfast. They love the croissants and the marmalade and all that. They love it. And so do we. And so we invite them to share with us and to enjoy it in that way. There are other kind of key things that we do do and we have done in the past and God has really blessed it. And what we have done is prayerfully sought the Lord for strategies during the year as to how he would want us to reach out to, um, to, 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 the, to the lost. So something Pastor Kemi said was, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And so we pray every year, Lord, what is your strategy for this year? And sometimes I will say to my primary leaders, what, what's, what are you feeling? What, what, what do you sense we should be looking at? And one year, Sister Beatrice said, I think we should do a, a boat trip. And so we prayed about it. We sought the Lord about it. And the Lord gave us the release. And we spoke to Amanda and Nicola at the time. And again, that release was given. And we did a boat trip where we took family, friends, neighbors, colleagues onto a boat, onto the River Thames so they couldn't flee. And then we began to share the gospel. But it was in a really wonderful um, there was dinner, there was fellowship, there was a play, and then the gospel was preached in a non-threatening way, and we saw, a, a, we saw a few people saved through that evangelism. Other things that we've done, one day during the Valentine's Day, we did, we, um, we were able to do, to host the welcome um, service, and there were roses and lovely things on the table. And I really wanted to reach out to some of um, the people from my net for my netball club when I used to play netball. And God provided an opportunity for me to invite them to that event. And quite a number of them came. And we had a fantastic time of fellowship and fun. And um, we know that a few people gave their lives to the Lord um, from that event. And so what we are looking at doing is tapping into the creativity of members within the cell groups. We did, um, Katie has talent, 
So that was another opportunity to present something that is slightly creative, innovative, slightly out of the box thinking. And what it does for people who are a bit shy to do the one-to-one -one evangelism, they're able to bring their friends into events that are slightly different very, very fun, quite quirky type events that will really get people intrigued as to, you know, what are you Christians about? Oh, this is a bit hip. This is great. Um, I remember one person coming to one of our meetings and said, gosh, you Christians are wicked, man. You're wicked. And I thought, well, I'm taking wicked in a good sense. You know, if that's great. If you mean it like that, we're okay. If we're wicked from that point of view, that's brilliant in a good sense. But, you know, so what they're doing is they're actually seeing us in a light where we are not just listening to a sermon or they're not just listening to a sermon, but they're interacting in a very, very fun way. We really hear from our cell groups, amazing testimonies of people getting on a bus, bumping into somebody who was on the wrong bus and the Lord prompting them to witness to that individual and that individual get, getting saved. Or somebody seeing one of our ladies um, who is um, very well known to you from the Bible school. She's a powerful evangelist and God provides opportunities for her just to share her gospel to the, you know, to, to, to those of different faiths. And some of us, you know, in the middle of the hairdressers, they're doing our hair and you just had, God gives you a word and you just say the word and that your hairdresser gets saved. We've heard amazing testimonies of how God very gently provides that opportunity for people to come into the kingdom. One of the things that really blessed me in all of this is when I was reading Acts chapter two, it speaks about the community of, of the church. And it's at chapter two, and you're looking at verse 44 through to 47, when it says that the believers met continually daily, one with another in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And this links in a bit to what um, Pastor Kemi was saying. We in ourselves cannot save anyone. The Lord does the saving. What we are doing is providing the opportunity for people that are not yet saved to come and to be among us in a way where they will feel comfortable and it be a way where they won't feel threatened, but they can get to know us as people. And I think one of the biggest compliments I've ever received came from somebody who I used to work with when I used to work in intensive care. It was a senior sister who I really, really respected. And I really want to see her saved. And um, I could, I didn't feel confident to witness to her directly, but we had a pizza and a quiz night and I invited her along to it. She loved it. And she said that she was so shocked about how normal Christians actually are, i.e. down to earth. And even though we have this wonderful relationship with the Lord, we are people who they can relate to and feel comfortable with. And so going back to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, the Christ's love compels us. That's got to be at the heart of all of our evangelism. And I hope that I've inspired you to think out of the box. It doesn't just have to be street 
evangelism. We One Easter, we did go out on the streets and it was fantastic in actual fact. It was Easter, we got baskets full of Easter eggs and we decided that we would just go out and bless the community. And it was brilliant. We went out across Notting Hill Gate with our basket full of eggs. People wondered what we were up to. And we said, well, we're Christians and we shared the gospel. And we said, we want to bless you. Here's an Easter egg. But do you want us to pray for anything that you need prayer for? Because we believe Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He heals the sick if there's any oppression or anything that you need help with emotionally we know God can help you and so you know that was wonderful and those that were a bit shy to do that we linked to those who were really strong evangelists so as my time is coming to an end I want to really encourage you during this time of training that there's a wider range of ways in which you can evangelize you can just just talk very gently to family, friends, colleagues, neighbours. You can, you can tap into some of the outreach initiatives going on at the church. You can, within your group, look at maybe some other creative ways of doing it. Um, and in all of it, it has to be um, underpinned with prayer underpinned with prayer because we need we know that it's God who saves them but we are just the vessel that brings that message of hope and provides that opportunity where God can um, really minister to them so we work in partnership with the Holy Spirit and in unity with the rest of the body of Christ to see the lost saved and so I hope you've got something out of that today um, I thank Sister Lola for the opportunity to share and I hope you're blessed and do enjoy the rest of the day God bless you. Thank you very much, Vi. That was amazing. Thank you so much. I, I get crashed one of your uh, picnics uh, last summer and I had an amazing time with you and the ladies. And now uh, we're going to hear from Trudy, who is going to speak to us about um, what stops us. Why aren't we sharing the gospel and how do we overcome them? Thank you very much, Trudy, and welcome. Thank you, um, Lola. Thank you, um, Pastor Kemi. And um, bye-bye. Um, absolutely awesome. I could, I could just hit, sit here and listen to everybody else, really. Um, reason being is that I, um, I think that we're all called to be um, or to do the work of evangelists. Um, 2 Timothy um, chapter 4, 5 says um, that really um, all of us are called to do um, that work. And that's some... Um, Pastor Kemi says as well, Matthew 28, verse 16, 20, um, talks about Jesus um, asking his apostles or disciples um, to go into all the world and to, and, and to preach um, the gospel and to make disciples. So the question really is, and why don't we do that? Why do we find it hard um, to actually share um, um, the, the gospel with, with, with people? Um, I'm going to just talk to you um, hopefully very briefly about um, uh, um, Elim Evangelism's Academy um, take on this. And Gary Gibb um, presented this particular um, thought, if you like, and he gives four reasons why. It's not an exhaustive list, but he just gives four reasons that I'll, I'll go through um, with yourself um, as to why we find it so hard um, to actually share um, the gospel. The first thing he says is that um, it's a lack of boldness um, in that we fear rejection maybe, uh, we fear being misunderstood and um, I think something and, and, um, Pastor Kemi also said which I'll, I'll say as well, we also fear um, attack 
from um, going out. Actually, it wasn't Pastor Kim, it was a prayer that we were having before. We fear being attacked if we actually go out and do something um, for, the, for the Lord. All these kind of things kind of stop us um, from wanting to share um, the good news, if you like, because um, that's what the Bible is. That's what the gospel is, good news um, with, 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 with other people. Um, so what's the, the antidote to that? And I think, again, Pastor Kimmy touched on that and um, when she talks about Acts um, 1, um, verse 8, um, where it says that you shall receive power where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And we see that in um, Peter on the day of Pentecost when he actually went out in boldness once he had received the Holy Spirit and um, preached. And indeed, 3000 people were added um, or converted um, that day. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 we also told that um, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly um, so boldness really if you like it's like the Holy Spirit within us that fills us um, he's not arrogant or rude um, it's not about winning the argument um, boldness is knowing the truth of what the Bible says and speaking it clearly confidently gently and very respectfully. Um, I remember um, when I, I wasn't long saved. And um, in fact, this person came to me. I didn't go to them. It was Sir Jehovah's Witness came and knocked on my door. And we were having this um, altercation. He was telling me his truth and I was telling him the Bible truth. And somewhere during that time, because um, I, I believe that even as you're talking to people, you should still be praying. I just felt um, in, in myself that I needed to respect the man. Um, because he was an older gentleman. So I, I felt to call him sir. So before I said I'd say anything, I'd, I'd say sir, and then I'd say whatever I wanted to say. And it was actually quite amazing to see the complete and utter change um, in the whole conversation when I started calling him sir. He wasn't converted. He, wasn't, he didn't become a believer. But he actually listened and went away thoughtful about some of the things we were talking about, whereas before he wasn't listening at all. So that's what um, being bold is about, yes? It's not just being brash and rude and arrogant. Um, it is knowing the truth of the Bible, speaking it clearly, confidently, gently, and respectfully. So the second thing that really um, stops us I, um, from, from sharing is the lack of love. Um, Pastor Kenny was saying that man is um, really dead without um, Christ when we're not saved. You know, when you love someone, you truly, truly, truly want them to have the very, very best. And I believe that the ultimate best is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything better than that. Um, and if we have that um, knowledge in ourselves, then it is. Um, it doesn't matter how rich, how poor the social standing of the person, um, we would want them to have that relationship um, with, with, with Christ. I often ask God um, on a daily basis, actually, um, to give me his heart and his love and his compassion for people throughout the day. Um, you know, Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 14, it says that it is the love of God, again, um, um, vice of it, which compels us to speak. Believe it or not, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm actually quite shy by nature, but it's, it's, it's what the Lord does inside. Um, the compassion, the love that he puts inside that compels me um, to talk to um, other, other, other people about um, his word. Um, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says that out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. Um, I don't know. I, I, I love this film, um, Elf. I don't know if you've all ever seen it. There's this bit when um, Elf um, finally goes on a, <clears throat> a date, if you like, with um, um, and he's skating with the woman that he loves. And he comes back and um, goes into his dad's office and he's shouting, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows about it. That's how it is for me for the gospel. I am in love, I am in love, and I really don't care who knows about it. Yeah. So the third thing that stops us um, is the lack of training. So I suppose just as you wouldn't really um, pay up to do a 20K um, um, run and just turn up on the day and, and, and um, just run. So you wouldn't do that or you shouldn't do that for evangelism. So like with the run, you may go out for 10 minutes at a time, 20 minutes and extend it and so on and so forth. And all that you're doing really um, is getting prepared for that day, for that, you know, for that actual um, run. Um, so that when you actually get to the run, or get to the day of sharing, you are better equipped, not even necessarily fully, but better equipped. Um, you're not going in there cold, you're going there having trained, having stretched um, over the weeks for that specific day. So thank you everybody who's on here really for coming to this um, training um, because you will then be better equipped for when that day comes, because you don't know when that's gonna be. It could be when you switch off here on the phone. Um, so you'd be better equipped. Um, to, to, to do that, to share the gospel. Um, the, the fourth thing that I'm just aware of time, the fourth thing that um, he, he says is um, the lack of uh, non-Christian friends. Um, I, I'm actually quite amazed sometimes when people ask, are asked to come evangelizing or to do any kind of evangelistic event. Uh, and they'll say stuff like, um, um, I, I, I can't, I can't do that because I don't have um, any non-believing friends or non-believing family um, or anything. I, I just find that quite um, hard to kind of comprehend because we all have um, friends, we all have hobbies, we all have things that we like and don't like. And um, I am just a firm believer that any um, person who has any type of hobby could use that type of hobby to bring people to the Lord. Anybody who even genuinely doesn't have um, hobbies, I believe can still do it because even your non-Christian or uh, your Christian friends, you can use to bring um, um, other people in. What do I mean by that? Put on an event, invite your Christian friends, ask them to bring the non-Christian friends along. That way you are, you are in the midst of other people um, who are non-Christians um, and um, other people and yourself can witness and just be, as Vi says, I totally agree, um, be normal. Um, the whole thing is, um, is letting people see that Christians don't have two heads. You know, we are actually quite normal. We are fun. And um, we, we can, um, what's the word, um, uh, understand them on the same level um, as they are on and as, as, as we are on, really. Um, so brings me to uh, the time um, to just say that Jesus's life um, really was just naturally um, evangelistic. Um, and it was to show who the father was and the father's kingdom in everything that he did. Um, I, I read somewhere that um, somebody said that evangelism, as far as they were concerned, were what, is what Jesus would have done um, after his resurrection had he not um, ascended into heaven. Um, 
So if that's the case, then really, I just want to leave you with this thought um, that there really is no plan B, you know, and that the church is his plan A and his only plan. And that is why really he put his Holy Spirit in us um, to carry on that work um, for him. And I'll just um, also say something very, very quickly. At the beginning, I said some of the things that um, stopped, stopped us was the fear um, factor. Um, you know, um, in John 16, verse 33, we told that we will have troubles. And yes, you know, you may have some repercussions if you go out evangelizing. But even within those repercussions, you can turn those things around to evangelize the people. Um, I've been amazed to see um, people, um, you know, um, in a situation with the police and turning it around and evangelizing to either the police or the person that was perpetrating whatever it was or gone into a hospital and where they've been there for a relative, um, um, maybe after they thought they'd been evangelizing or doing the things of God and their relative is really, really sick and yet they have turned it around and have been evangelizing to, um, to the nurses or to the doctors or to people around. Um, and I say all of that just to reiterate what I just said, that this is something that Jesus would do. This is his heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of God, the souls of men. It's not his will and that any should perish, but all should come to the, to the knowledge of him. Um, so I just believe that if that is the case, that's why we are on this earth. Um, and that's why the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit um, to enlarge his kingdom and to make him famous in the world and um, to invite people to share in the good news that you and I already um, are aware of in sharing. So I'm going to leave it there because time doesn't permit to go any further. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Trudy. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who don't know Trudy, Trudy and her husband, Felix, they're just so called to this area of evangelism and they have been, God's blessed them with much, much fruit. So when we started today's session, I promised you, you'd be hearing from practitioners. We're giving you practitioners. These are people who have actually done it. Thank you so much. Let me take a moment to just answer a question that came up in the chat. So if you have questions and answers, sorry, if you have questions to us, drop it in the chat. We will try and either reply directly in the chat or um, we can speak the answers out. Someone was asking, when can the evangelism team go out again or when can we go out and evangelize? Well, technically the government allows you to meet one other person right now. So you can meet up with one other person. March the 29th, you can meet with groups of six outdoors. Okay, but keep in mind, this is all at social distance, please. So if you're going out in groups, use a lot of wisdom. There is still a virus around. The roadmap is unfolding, but we need to be very, very wise about how we do it. So March the 29th, groups of six at social distance. Just don't go jamming yourself into people's personal space because social distance still exists. So as I said earlier on, yes, we've got some great, great practitioners um, that we are having share with you today. Uh, Trudy talked a little bit about the area of love. And, you know, and I find the area of love is one that offsets the fear factor. Uh, and many times I find when I talk evangelism with people, we, sometimes we, we jump straight to evangelism instead of the investment in loving people. And so I'm gonna introduce you to two amazing male or men leaders in our church. Scott Templeton and Dr. Solomon Osaji, both lead sizable groups of men in our church. And they're gonna be talking to us about this area of friendship evangelism and some of the things they've been doing in their downlines. So it's over to you, Scott, and then straight over to Solomon after that. 
Thank you very much, Ron, and good morning, everyone. It's great to, to be with you. Um, yeah, so I wanted to take a, a few minutes just to share a little bit about how we can um, effectively uh, build some of the friendships. So I apologize in advance if I end up tiptoeing into uh, some of my message uh, tomorrow. I think one of the big things that uh, has been really fruitful for me is Sometimes I think for us as Christians, when we evangelize, we use the wrong language. We invite people to church and not to an encounter with Jesus. Um, we, we're always so keen to show people uh, uh, what we know about the scriptures, but not necessarily show them the author of scripture. Um, and I think we invite too often people to programs and not actually the presence of God. Uh, and therefore, if, if that's our default attitude and response in situations, we will always find ourselves having to put on programs and events, which are all good and, and healthy. But actually, if they encounter the presence of God, then that's what they will tether their relationship to God with. You know, G God is the ultimate master evangelistic planner. And we see in Ephesians 6.15, you know, we are called to wear the shoes of readiness to move with the gospel. And I think it was something that, that Trudy mentioned. What does our heart ultimately beat for? Does it beat for ourselves or does it beat for the lost? Uh, because we ourselves at one point were once lost. And so I think one of the big things is that we need to uh, connect with people much more intentionally. So uh, an example that I would give, and I'm sure we can all, all bear witness to this, uh, maybe pre-COVID or post uh, or during COVID, you get into a certain rhythm of, of life. So maybe you get the same bus or train to work and you sometimes sit on the tube or the bus meeting or, or seeing the same people. And um, a few years ago, there was a, a guy that would clean the streets quite literally right outside KT. And every single day I would walk past him. And for weeks, I never said anything. And I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit just to say something. But I never told him that I worked there. I just asked him the question, hey, have you ever been inside that building? And he looked up at the building and he looked at me and he said, no. I said, why not? He said, no one's ever invited me. And what that told me was that we have been sent out by God as his vessels, as his instruments. And people are much more receptive, much more open than we actually give them credit for. And we know the word of God says that as the father has sent me, so I send you. So we've all been sent. The question is whether or not we will go and actually meet people at their point of need. Uh, and often that means we have to meet them where they're most comfortable. And so if we can't bring someone to the church building, we have to ultimately take the church to them, which means that our life, our testimony has to reflect Christ. It has to uh, have credibility attached to it. It can't always be us demonstrating what we know of scripture, but not ultimately live that out in our hearts and lives. And, you know, I ended up connecting with him a bit. Um, I'm still in contact with him. And he came along to the church for the six o'clock service at the time, uh, and he enjoyed it. And he's asked lots of questions in the meantime. But what it showed me was that people are much more open. Um, and I think the first thing that we need to recognize is that Christ aims for us all to be witnesses, to share the good news. And that it cannot just be simply us waiting for others to come and see the good news. Um, we know that the, the enemy will always try and block the eyes of, of believers and, and we need to open the eyes of unbelievers. You know, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel who is in the likeness of God. And so we need to find a way of uh, encouraging people to connect 
to the goodness of God in that moment. And I believe that we have to partner with the Holy Spirit. I think it was something that Vi or, or Auntie Kemi mentioned in helping people open the eyes of the blind. So we need to pray for God to open their eyes, but we also need to speak words of truth about Christ when their eyes are open so that they ultimately have something to capture and something to lay hold of, something to believe. Um, and therefore, the Holy Spirit will never open the eyes of the heart until there is the truth in the mind to ultimately believe. And that's where we need to step into that gap, into that void and be the salt and light that we are called to be. We put the truth of Christ into that person's mind with our testimony, with our character, with our heart. And then we pray for the miracle of spiritual sight in that moment. And we, we can pray the words, you know, let there be light. And in that moment, God can do something very, very substantial. I think what I've, I've found a lot in, in a lot of the friendship evangelism that I've done is that credibility and integrity in our communication is so important. People are not, uh, uh, the non-saved, they're not interested in how much scripture we can quote in or out of context. They're not interested in, in what we've achieved per se in ministry or in, in the body of Christ. They want to know that we care. They want to know that the God that we're showing them is reflected in our heart and our attitude towards them. And I've found that if, if we give them time, if we demonstrate intentionality, if we are consistent in our care and our efforts to them, slowly but surely, as we meet them where they're comfortable, we find that their hearts start to open. And then you're able, you're, you're, you're given the permission. They may not even communicate that they've, you've given, they've given you the permission, but you get given the permission to speak into their life. And I found it time and time again with a group of friends that I've got from school that aren't saved, they phone me up when their marriage is falling apart or when their kid is truant at school or their husband's lost their job or there's, there's a health issue in the family and they just say, can you pray? And it gives me an opportunity to speak into their life in that moment. And I think that we need to make the most of every opportunity. Um, I think too, too often we sit around talking about evangelism, but we don't actually go out and do it. Um, and I think sometimes we feel um, um, unqualified or, or we don't have sufficient knowledge of scripture just share your story. You know, we know the phrase well that often the only Bible that many non-Christians will pick up is our testimony. Um, and so we need to keep our testimony fresh. We need to keep it relevant. We need to keep it timely about what God has done in our lives and demonstrate that to them. But um, I definitely have found with people that I've uh, connected with and guys in my group that ultimately it's meeting people at their point of need. And, and you see it time and time again uh, in miracles in the scriptures. Jesus went to the person. He didn't wait for the person to come to them. There are one or two examples like Bartimaeus, but predominantly he went to the person. He met them in their context, in their environment. He met them at their point of need and then was able to minister to them in those moments because that's where their heart was ultimately open. Um, I think we all need to testify to the truth of the gospel. I think we need to take hold of the opportunities. Proverbs 27, 19 tells us that as the water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the man. And so ultimately, what are we reflecting? Who are we reflecting? You know, it, it was a question asked to me a few years ago. They said, if every person in the church was like you, what would the 11 o'clock service in KT look like? Would it, be a, would it be a service of compassion? Would it be a service of giving? Would it be a service of, of love and of unity and community and, and reflecting the goodness and the grace and the compassion of Jesus? Um, so those are just some of my thoughts. I, I know this much that that's, that's how I was reached. Um, and a, a small piece of information 18 years ago tomorrow, I will have been a believer. So I'll leave you with a, a quote from Charles uh, Spurgeon. Let this be to you the mark 
of true gospel preaching, where Christ is everything and the creature is nothing, where it is salvation of all grace through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus. And so we know ultimately it's not a, a, a the sinner's prayer that gets a person saved. It's not giving your heart. It's not coming forward. It's not putting your hand up in a, in a meeting, but it's actually through faith alone. But they can't embrace that unless we actually go out and encourage them. So those are my thoughts. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, Scott. Um, I know that we are running over, so um, I'm very happy to be uh, stopped um, Lola run when you think that I should. Um, thank you very much for, for that photograph. Uh, I don't like photographs, people who know me will know, so if you could take that off very quickly, please. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very disconcerting. Uh, thank you. Um, I, um, yes, so, so it, it's a very, very interesting session. Um, and uh, Trudy said something um, very profound, which is that we are all called to evangelize. Um, and, and, I, and I like the way she said it because she didn't say that we're all called to be evangelists. And, and that's, that's that, that, that subtle, you know, changing words has, has, a, has a huge impact to people. If you're told you're an evangelist, you might uh, get a bit frightened like I would be because I, I certainly don't see myself as an evangelist. I see myself as somebody who's called to evangelize. So truly thank you for, uh, for, for that. And as many people have said, there are many examples um, of Jesus evangelizing in a non-traditional way. Um, remember many years ago, Pastor Colin, he taught, uh, he was teaching, uh, doing some teaching, and he, he quoted Francis of Assisi, um, who said, preach the gospel wherever you go, using words only when necessary. Um, and, and that, again, is uh, an amazing um, capture of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I have said many times that Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. And so I, I refuse to accept that um, prayers or fasting, Bible reading, these activities are not the destination, either collectively or individually. The destination is God through Christ Jesus. Um, and we, we have in rudimentary parlance the tools to be able to get there. So we've got to do, when we pray and when we fast, we've got to do something beyond that. Uh, using the tools to accomplish the goals is, um, is, 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 is what we're supposed to do. Um, I personally also, I, I, just, I just dislike religious rhetoric that appeals to, you know, jingoism and sentimentality at the expense of what is true spirituality. It's got to be a little bit more than talking about the stuff and doing some of what I call the religious activities along the way. And I know I'm being provocative, um, but I think that if we don't challenge ourselves, we will fail. Um, the, the constant theme of merry-go-rounds in, in, in churches, it has to stop, I think. You know, one church opens its doors and preaches a message and then people flock to that church and populate it. And everyone says, oh, look how they have grown when actually most of the growth is people moving from one church to another. Um, growth has got to be organic as well as inorganic. Um, it has to be vertical growth and horizontal growth. Acts 16.5 is, is a good 
summary and capture of the sort of growth that every church must be looking for, horizontal and vertical. And so, um, you know, one of my issues is um, when we try to juxtapose our own experience over the rest of society. And Jesus, everyone has said it this morning, which is quite amazing that, that we all accept this. Jesus was, he was, he wasn't one dimensional. And, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. Uh, so, so when he says, for example, in John 10, 10, I came that you might have life in its abundance of fullness, that must mean that life has many facets. Um, if we as Christians fail to acknowledge that this is the case, we will never reach, um, we'll never reach all of society. Christianity then becomes a, an insular us club where anyone who doesn't speak our language or look like us, and let's be very clear, very few people do, then those people feel alienated and they can't be reached by us. Um, I, I ask why, why, for example, would we have the events of, uh, of the Pentecost in Acts 2, where the apostles were engaging with a cross-section of people? And, and I think verse 6 in Acts 2 tells us that everyone heard the message in their own language, not the language that the apostles spoke, but in their own language. And I think that's powerful. So we must challenge ourselves a little more if we ignore the contextualization of the gospel, which uh, Pastor Kemi was, was very, very well, very, very well described. If we ignore the contextualization of the gospel, its versatility, its variety, the richness of this gospel, the vastness of God's creation, different types of people, different types of people groups, personalities that are different, if we fail to go beyond our own Jerusalem, our space, which is exactly what we're instructed to do, we will never get to Judea, we will never engage with Samaria, never mind going to the ends of the earth. We have to get out of our own Jerusalem, out of ourselves and our own experience. And um, let me you know, I was going to sort of talk about some examples of, of evangelism, which many people have mentioned them, provided uh, Pastor Kemi did. John 8, for example, the woman, I think Kemi mentioned her, the woman who was brought to Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. That encounter was not Jesus standing on the pulpit on the top of a hill evangelizing. He did it quietly. What about Mark 12, verse 13, uh, where Jesus was, he was preaching, he was preaching by the sea, not in the church. You know, later on in the same chapter, I think it's in the same chapter of Mark 2, we see Jesus, uh, this time he's eating with sinners and, he's, and, and with tax collectors. He's not preaching to them in the traditional sense of the word. What about feeding the multitudes in Mark 6? So my, my friends, I'm not suggesting, you know, that um, we do one thing. I'm saying let's look at different examples of doing these things and actually start doing them. If the church is to be effective, it must recognize that evangelism has got to have a non-traditional element in it. This, to me, is my Francis of Assisi um, testimony. So um, an essential element for us in my group has to be uh, based on um, the parable of the sower. 
Uh, Mac describes this parable in Mac 4. I think Matthew has it in Mac 13, and uh, it's in Luke 8 as well. Uh, Jesus was very clear, he, very clearly there. He said that there is nothing wrong with the seed. Um, but if that seed is to have any impact, we must address the receiving soul. So Jesus looked at each audience and determined what was right to say and how to say it. He always looked at the receiving soil. The seed, the word, is powerful. It doesn't need any work. It's perfect. It's the soil, the people, the hearts, the minds that receive that we need to focus on. And there are you know, three types, fourth categories that was the one to aspire for. So our, our evangelism activities must recognize each type of receiving soil and deal with it accordingly. So let, let me say that, you know, we, we know that, I, I, I think the statistics are six, seven out of every 10 people who respond to the gospel will fall away or do nothing. If anyone operated their business with that sort of statistic, their personal business, they will be bankrupt and enter into administration or insolvency very quickly. And we therefore, as Christians have no right you know, we have no right to treat the word of God with anything less than the best. Um, let me just digress for a moment. I remember that there was a story, uh, Pastor Colin and um, John Glass, if you remember many years ago, did some teaching in the lower hall in Katie and evangelism, actually. And, and John Glass told the story of uh, the group in, um, it was in Manchester who for a number of years had been going out in the evening to, to clean the town and graffiti and all that stuff. And they did a survey after three years and asked the people, members of the public, what do you think about this group? Who do you think they are? Most people thought that the group was uh, the local authority, the council. Um, another group, the second largest group of people thought that these, these people were prisoners who were doing community service. Nobody identified them with Christ or the gospel. Uh, now, Colin and John's point was very simple, absolutely correct. Doing these activities but making no connection with the gospel is pointless. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll just explain that in a minute. And when I joined, uh, the, 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 Colin invited me to join the men's leadership in Katie many years ago, I remember him being relentlessly direct to us. He said, we've got to do something. The, the discussion was about the men's net. Uh, if our approach to the gospel, to evangelism, is not producing the fruits that are commensurate with the input, and there is some success, let's not pretend there isn't, but if it's not commensurate with the input, we've got to change what we do, right? Instead of doing more of, of the same. And so uh, the activities that we try to do, and you've heard many people say those are, are very similar. Um, before the lockdown, you know, we, we um, I, I live in Swanley in a village called Hextable. And um, I, I set up a, a group of, of, the, of the women, the men we'd already done our, our own group local to the area before that. And I, I got the women together. Um, and it was a platform to help to advance some of the stuff that we do. Uh, of course, the lockdown came very quickly, but I've, I've challenged the women. This is not a group of you guys getting together to have a prayer meeting, another one. Do that, 
but you've got to move out and, and I will push eventually for that to happen. Um, everything we do has got to be um, themed and it's got to have a result orientation about it. Uh, we have prayer meetings that are themed. We have, you know, work groups. We have psychological support groups and engagement. I have a student group, a student's platform, and we have uh, our second meeting tomorrow. But I've already challenged the guys that they will have targets to bring people in. Otherwise, it becomes another insular thing of us. Um, I'll talk very quickly, if I can, to just two last points. The welcome ministry in KT. Um, again, when, uh, when we talked to Colin, uh, talked to, uh, to me about the welcome ministry many years ago, we recognized that um, things were not working in the way they could have been. I mean, God was bringing so many people past where we were in Notting Hill Gate, but we weren't catching them. And so we decided that we've got to do something about it. Um, and Scott, um, I think Scott said um, that um, something about, um, you know, Jesus didn't uh, wait for people. He went out to meet them. And that's my point. Fishermen, which we're called to be, they don't sit on the banks of the river in the boat and expect the fish to swim to where they are. They go out and cast their nets. And that's what I was saying to the welcome team. You've got to go out to where the people are. Um, but I also said this. There is no point doing an activity without having an idea what the results should be. And Christians, we tend to do a lot of this sort of thing we work very, very hard. Um, but I say we should work by targets, not by emotions. But I, by that I mean, if we know that we're expecting a harvest that is 30-fold, then that's what we should work for and expect to see. If we know that the harvest should be 60-fold, then anything less than that is not success. If the harvest is supposed to be a hundredfold, then anything less than that is not success. So we must work. I challenge my guys, let's not be insular. Let's go upwards, but let's be very clear that we enjoy the success that God has given us, but make sure that the success that we're celebrating is the success that the Holy Spirit expects from us rather than the one that is dictated by our emotions. The Acts of the Apostles Church was result oriented vertical and horizontal growth. If all we do is enjoy ourselves and then go home, then in my mind, we have failed to do Acts 16 verse five. That must be the measure of the church. Acts 16 five, a theme that I think is constant throughout the Acts of the Apostles. Every stepping out in Acts of the Apostles is very clear. It tells us what the result was, that people grew vertically or horizontally. And that, to me, is the measure of what we must do with evangelism. So I'll, I'll close on that. Um, thank you uh, for, for listening to me. Thank you so much, uh, Solomon, and thank you, Scott. Words of wisdom indeed. Uh, for those of you who have joined, many, many of you now, thank you so much for being with us. We are planning to go through until one o'clock. We are hearing from some of our leaders in the church, practitioners in the area of evangelism. Um, so we're, we're in the last 11 months or so, we've, we've had to change our way of thinking completely with the number of restrictions we've lived with. And um, 
one of the things we've had to do is we've had to think online. And so we're gonna move into a, a 10 minute session right now, talking about alpha. Initially, initially alpha used, the concept of alpha was around people having a meal. And the world has learned that alpha online is just as effective. So I'm gonna introduce Jonathan Gwilt. Um, Jonathan is our finance director. You don't often get a chance to see him. So it's great to have Jonathan today. Today, he's not a finance director. He's gonna, just gonna share with us his involvement with alpha. So over to you, John. Thank you ever so much, Ron, and um, a very good afternoon to everyone. I'm just going to share my uh, screen. Um, hope you can all see see that. Um, so it's my uh, uh, great privilege to just say a few words about Alpha. Um, and it was the first time um, that I've been involved with Alpha, actually, when we ran it last August and September. September, and I just want to feed back to you um, what several of the leaders have said to me about how uh, Alpha has helped them and impacted the people that they have led. The need, as we've been hearing, is what is it that people are believing about life, about existence, about the world around them, about who they are? What are people listening to? Where are people getting their information from? What questions do people have? Who can they go to for answers? People are crying out for answers, but may not even know how to articulate the questions. And how can people believe if they don't hear, as we've already heard? And is there something called truth perhaps in this world where there are so many views and opinions. And of course there is, the opportunity for us is that the gospel is true, it's the truth. It is good news as Pastor Kemi was saying. It's the right information, it correctly describes us as human persons and the world around us. It's a reliable source, it is inspired. It gives the answers to humanity's deepest questions. It's the only coherent account that makes sense of life in the world around us. And of course, the word of God brings faith. So these are some of the leaders that have led Alpha in the last six or nine months. Trudy, who you've heard, heard from, Karen, Pastor Praise from Rivers of Life, David and Liz from Sudbury Hill, Marcelo, who leads our international ministry, Claudia and Simona Ferrer uh, in Lazio in Italy. And we had a, a one run in the central church uh, and uh, quite a number of cell groups have also run them too and this is what we're really strongly encouraging from this Easter time. The feedback, this is from Karen Hutchinson, five clear points, it's easy, introductory, video-based, readily available and accessible and free. Other feedback that we've had, uh, several of the leaders have said it's the easiest evangelistic activity they've ever done. They have found Alpha very powerful and impactful. One or two have underestimated it. Um, Pastor Prey said um, that a number of people have sought forgiveness through being on this co uh, course. Uh, and there's been great, great opportunities for prayer. Uh, the videos themselves are extremely interesting. They, they contain a, a great deal of information that speak directly and penetratingly into the heart of a human person to get us, to get them to think about life, who they are and the world around them, the very existence, the one thing that we all have to account for, that we all know that exists, which is us. Who am I and why am I here? The videos contain very, very strong testimonies. They're beautifully produced 
and questions. This is the key feature. The questions are excellent and they open people up. You feel like your heart is being raked over uh, and you're being opened up as you as you just reconsider or perhaps consider for the first time penetrating questions. The format is welcome and it used to involve food, uh, but uh, one or two people um, actually on online had a table with tea and cakes and a couple of friends around. Then there's a wonderful video, then there's a discussion and it's all over within an hour. And it's absolutely wonderful. As I say, the key is questions, questions, questions. This is the key to Alpha. The videos do all the teaching. You don't need to teach or preach. You need to do very little preparation. What you need to do is to allow people to think and to open up. Let people ask anything and wait for them to, to ask questions. Don't just give people the answers. Wait for them. People need to ask questions about themselves and the world around them. And from that, the Holy Spirit can minister. This is how I became a Christian as a, as a teenager many years ago. I was asking questions and through those questions and one or two wonderful people, I came to, came to a personal faith in Christ. These are some of the questions that the leaders have fed back. Um, these are, there were quite a lot of believers that attended Alphas um, and as others have said, as we as, as we extend this to more and more people uh, that that have no background in Christianity or church, the questions might might differ. But questions like why why do why do people have to die? Why do people suffer when they come to God? Um, how can you tell if something is a miracle or just a coincidence? How can you just forgive someone when they've been so horrible to you? How do you stop yourself carrying around hurts? Am I in the right place, on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Is there reality? Are we just dreaming? If there is reality, is it a shared one? How complex is the human being? So from these questions, you get some idea of the content of Alpha. Why do people go through so many hardships? Different denominations of Christianity. Why don't people all believe the same thing? Is there such a thing as truth? Why didn't the devil, uh, why didn't God stop the devil at the beginning? Why doesn't God stop innocent people from being hurt? Why didn't God make us omnipotent? Why did he allow his son to die? How come we don't see more miracles today as we did in the Bible? Etc. Etc. Why do some get saved and others don't? Uh, this is from a, a, a lady who attended the Central Alpha, a historian, a young lady, and this you can call a more skeptical view. Um, she said she doesn't really understand what paganism and sacrifice is all about. And certainly, you know, death and suffering, and yet God is supposed to be a loving creator. How does that tie up? Jesus, she couldn't understand how he could die to take away people's sins and felt that the church has used this as an excuse in the past to take money off people. Um, history seems okay, um, but you know the teachings, not all of them, particularly uh, death. So very interesting. And I think Alpha was effective in helping this young lady move a little bit closer to the Lord and she was brought by a Christian friend. Regarding questions, here are the big four, the four that any child can ask. And really, everybody who's alive today owes it to themselves to find the true answers to these questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? 
and where am I going? There are so many topics that feed into these questions. And I think this is the heart of Alpha. It causes us to think deeply about eternal things, starting with ourselves and the world around us and who ultimately God is. Just a few testimonies, a person from a traditional Orthodox background who came to the Sudbury Hill. One, she was suffering from depression. Life was very difficult. She was initially apprehensive. She found the church so beautiful, no one judging her. Found freedom to be who she was and Alpha answered many of her questions and she now feels stronger, loved, alive and blessed. These are her own words. Uh, a Christian who had done living free, who was on Alpha, perhaps to get trained, to have a better understanding to the various questions that, that, they, that they had about God. It far exceeded their expectations. They were encouraged by the stories, felt really affirmed and has a stronger trust in God as a result. Uh, so they are great teaching materials for us as Christians in our evangelism. Um, but of course, Alpha is primarily there for us to bring people who haven't heard the gospel before and from one of our um, uh, leaders uh, this was Trudy actually who's uh, just spoken so beautifully earlier I was initially concerned about how to organize the Holy Spirit Zoom day uh, without those attending feeling bored uh, I don't think people feel bored when they're with Trudy um, but she said God is good and faithful all who came stayed to the end and the three children and the one adult committed to Christ. One of the children was filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, their mother has seen a real change in that child. So this is a life impacted that will go on to impact many other lives. Um, and from the central one, um, a number of people brought their friends. One at least brought a work colleague and one brought a uh, brother. Uh, another person um, who was completely unchurched got in touch with us six weeks later and asked to join a cell and we were able to uh, refer him to Trudy's husband, Felix. Uh, one was very skeptical with lots and lots of questions that I've just been through, but found the experience and the material genuine and thought provoking. And we had 12 wonderful leaders who ministered very, very effectively uh, and enjoyed the material. And I think it's helped them in their um, evangelism. So simply try it. It's very simple, very effective, very rewarding. But let's not forget, this is the gospel we're dealing with. And this is people's souls. And so there is the everlasting impact. We're preparing Alpha Packs. Michelle, um, who's done so much work on this, is preparing Alpha Packs for every cell leader. Comprises five things. Uh, the Alpha videos themselves that are wonderful. They're 25 to 30 minutes long, so they take up roughly half of the time. There are two training videos, one for Alpha and one for the Alpha weekend for you as leaders. Each week, there is a short two-minute training video that you watch as guides before the Alpha starts. Then you have PDFs of the Alpha guides for guests and for the leaders, and it gives the questions. Remember, as guides, you are there to listen and let other people ask questions. So it was a wonderful time, uh, and this is a wonderful resource. I know Pastor Colin is very, very uh, keen for this to be used effectively alongside everything else that we do. So thank you for listening. You know, I'm... I'm... <laughs> thank you very much, Jonathan.
that was um, awesome. Thank you very much. And as Ron um, mentioned earlier, we've got the alpha course running very soon, more information on the website. And now I'm going to speak to you on um, creative evangelism, that evangelism using the creative arts and um, in public places. Now, prior to lockdown, when you walk down a busy road or a high street, or you'll find that there are a number of cafes, bars, and pubs, many of them playing music, and people love outdoor events. You'll find people standing outside these establishments in the doorway or outside, drinking, laughing, and having a great time. When I see the crowds hanging by the entrances or outside, I'm reminded of Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is plentiful, and indeed it is. So how do we get their attention? How do we share the gospel message with them? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, yes, when I find, com uh, yes, I find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. We know they love the music. We know they love the arts. So we take, them to, we take the gospel message to them through the music and the arts. We host a music, a poetry, and a dance night right there in the cafe or in a pub or in a bar. It's cozy, they like that. There's food, there's drink, there's coffee, there's tea, they love that. And we call it the Reveal Lounge. You might say, hey, Lola, in the bar or in the pub, what about 2 Corinthians 6? 17, which says, therefore come out from them and be separated, says the Lord. If we get too close to people, you don't know what, uh, if we get too close to people, we don't know the Lord, or we spend all their hours in, in pubs and bars, um, we might be contaminated. No, I think the scripture is talking about us being physically distant it's not talking about us being physically distanced from people, but about being distinct in our attitudes, in our values and in our actions. So we have been hosting the Reveal Lounge now in pubs and bars and cafes for the past few years. It is a great way of sharing the gospel. We have seen many people give their lives to Christ. However, because of the lockdown, we have taken it online. Last November, we hosted three events online. And um, ladies and myself group invited their colleagues from work and the evangelism of three. Angie invited her friend who hadn't been going to church in a few years. And um, the lady who dedicated her life to Christ at Reveal Lounge, and she joined our cell group. And then she mentioned to me that um, her husband has been listening and he's now curious. He wants to find out more about God. So I asked if it was okay if I could have a conversation with him. And um, she checked with him. He said yes. So um, in the cell, we prayed before I called him. And um, I shared the gospel message with him. And um, he gave his life to Christ. When he gave the phone back to Karen, um, Karen said to me that he had a huge smile on his face. There was a glow in his face. The Holy Spirit was doing something. He had begun something. 
So on Easter Monday, the 4th of April, we have a Reveal Lounge Easter special coming up online. You can be a part of this outreach. How? By inviting your unsaved friends, your colleagues, your relatives, your evangelism of three to log in and watch online. And you can host a watch party so that they can, um, so that you can be with them and, and engage in conversations with them about the songs, the poetry, the interviews, and the gospel message, etc. Or you can follow them up afterwards and ask if they have any questions and ask them about the, what they felt about the spoken word, about the poetry, about the interviews, about the gospel message. And um, what I just want to encourage us to begin to do from today is to start praying for the people that we want to invite. We want to start praying, Lord, who should I invite? Pray that the Lord will soften their hearts and remove any stones or impediments and that their hearts will be open and receptive to receive the gospel message. Um, and the next slide, um, the, the one after that, um, I'm going to um, also mention to you about movies and theater. So as you can see here, this is um, a survey that was carried out recently. So according to TV streaming statistics in the UK in 2020, 53% of all households in the UK are subscribed to at least one video on demand. The global revenue of video on demand services is over 40 billion pounds. You know, so we, we see here clearly an, an, an opportunity that the Lord has given us. People love the theater, they love movies. Of course, because of lockdown, people are not able to go to the theater for now, but people are watching more movies than ever before. So this is another opportunity for us to share the gospel through movies. Clearly people love to watch movies. So at KT, we are hoping to make a, a movie at some point this year. And um, our encouragement to you is this, please invite your friends to come along and watch it. Invite your neighbors to come along and watch it. Invite your um, unsaved people to come along and watch it, including your evangelism of three. And let us just begin to pray from now that the message in the movie will touch their hearts, will capture their hearts, and they will give their life to Christ. Now, finally, on Reveal Lounge, after the lockdown, we are hoping to host uh, Reveal Lounge in, in public places, like in the Trafalgar Square, in the car park of a drive through restaurant, as well as in a mall. So we're encouraging everyone, come along, join us in engaging in conversations with people, invite your friends, bring along your family. We can make it a big KT family at Trafalgar Square. Um, in the next slide, uh, you will see a picture uh, we took last um, February before the lockdown. Uh, we went out to with uh, Pastor Eddie and the fast um, I, uh, with the homeless outreach to um, have a reveal lounge outreach out there at Trafalgar Square. Now that morning, when I was praying, when we were praying in preparation, the Lord showed me a vision of a particular spot in that area, and I saw that the ground was broken, and I could see the the sand underneath the the, the concrete. So at the time, I didn't realize why I had seen this. And because um, I thought that they usually met at the, uh, a different location. 
But anyway, I got into the car with them and we went to the place and they parked the car at exactly this point where you see this group of people in this picture. And this was the point in, that I had seen in the vision where the ground, the concrete on the floor was broken. I actually thought we were meeting somewhere else, but the Lord was showing me in advance that actually this is where you're going to meet. So I, that, that revelation reminded me of Hosea 10, 12. So for yourselves, righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. I believe the Lord is saying that, yes, we are to go out and share the gospel message, but we need to do it in partnership with him, as Pastor Kemi shared earlier. We need to begin to pray, prayerfully reach out to those who do not know him, prayerfully share the, our, our testimonies with them, prayerfully reach out to them and prayerfully invite them so that we're not just going out in our flesh or in our own human understanding or wisdom, but at, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now, we had an amazing night that day. We had wonderful opportunities to speak to people and to engage with people and to share the gospel message with them. And so we're looking forward to when we go back to Trafalgar Square, this time after the lockdown, of course, <laughs> where we're going to have a concert, we're going to have stage and music and spoken word and the opportunity to engage with people. So uh, please come on out on that day, invite people. Well, we can have a party in Trafalgar Square with our families, with our children, with, our, with, uh, with all our guests, our friends, the people that we invite. Now, the, um, the next um, slide shows a picture of um, one of the Reveal Lounge events we had a few years ago. And um, Delphine, who is the lady in black in front, she um, was one of the singers and, um, and her husband, Wale, um, also came along and um, after the gospel message had been preached and after we had received wonderful uh, responses to the gospel message, um, Delphine and a few other people got onto the dance floor and started to dance and celebrate as you can see in that picture. <laughs> and of course, when we go out together <laughs> like this, it's also an opportunity for couples to have a date night, right? You know, so you share the gospel message, you invite your friends, and then you, go, uh, you have a date now with your husband or with your wife. So in the next picture, you will see Wale, who we're going to hear from in a minute, gets onto the dance floor with his wife. So they had an amazing night that night. They had the opportunity to invite their friends and um, to, um, to sing and then to have a date night. And then Wale, um, who we're going to um, hear from now, he also has something he wants to share with us. Wale? Uh, thanks, Lola. I'll be, I'll be really brief uh, uh, constant, uh, because of time. Um, the Reveal Lounge gave me the opportunity to invite uh, my colleague, my colleagues to an ev evangelistic event. Um, and at least on two, on two occasions, at least, I got a positive res uh, um, response from colleagues to attend the Reveal Lounge. And I do remember on one, uh, on one occasion when a Hindu colleague of mine attended. Uh, he found the atmosphere quite great and very relaxed because uh, it was a bit uh, different. Uh, there were many people from different nations and cultures which he could identify with. But most importantly, the message was preached and the seed was sown, which was exactly what I wanted. Uh, his feedback afterwards was, uh, was quite great and he was quite open 
to attending future events when, whenever possible. So that, that, that was my, my experience and I will really recommend it. Brother, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Wale. So um, I'm going to come to an end there. Um, and I'm just going to finish by saying we've got the Easter online reveal lounge coming up on Easter Monday. Um, we, heard past, uh, we, heard, we heard Dr. Solomon say earlier about being, um, we need to have like a target. So imagine if we've got what, 130 people online right now. So I shared with you about how last November, Angie and myself invited Karen, who hadn't been to church in a few years, and she rededicated her life to Christ at Reveal Lounge. And then I, that led to her husband wanting to know more. So I shared the gospel message with him and he gave his life to Christ. So that's um, rededication and salvation. Now imagine if all of us right now on this call, 132 people were to invite 132 unsaved friends or colleagues or relatives would, and, and begin to pray from today begin to pray that the Lord will soften their hearts and remove all stones and impediments and that their hearts will be open and receptive and they will receive the gospel message. That is 132 souls, 132 souls that can get saved if we are strategic as um, um, Dr. Solomon said, if we, if we have a target there are 132 people on the line today. Let's have an agreement. Let's come together. Let's begin to pray. And let us all log online on Easter Monday, um, April the 4th, and watch Reveal Lounge on KTTV. Invite our unsaved friends and begin to believe that they will get saved. Maybe we will have 132 souls that night, like we did with Angie and her, uh, her backslidden friend and her husband who gave their lives to Christ, rededication and salvation. Let us begin to pray. Let us begin to pray about all of these events. Let us begin to pray about who we are going to invite and be expectant and we will see much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And now we're going to move on to Elizabeth, who is going to share with us about how to be a witness in the workplace. Thank you, Elizabeth. You're muted, Elizabeth. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Um, thank you for this. I'm going to share my screen now. I'm going to talk about um, evangelism in the workplace. However, what I would like to call it is being a witness in the workplace. So I'm going to share my screen and uh, we would do um, a, uh, a presentation because I'm not much of a talker. I do need some prompts to help me talk. There we go. There we go. Right. Let's just wait for it to come up. So being an evangelist, hold on, let me just make sure that this works. Okay, here we go. Being a witness in the workplace. I'm so glad for what Solomon uh, shared because um, 
God is so diverse. God is such a diverse God. He uh, doesn't do things one way. He has billions of ways of doing things. And um, that's how you, as, as much as we're individual, that is how unique we are. Um, I'm so glad for what Solomon said that, you know, um, uh, we cannot just all squeeze into one box of evangelism. I don't fit into any of those boxes. So sometimes I think, God, you know, you know, how am I going to preach the gospel? But one thing that the Lord told me is just be yourself. Be yourself. Love me with God said, love me with all your heart and just be yourself. And that's what I have done over the years. And now the Great Commission, what does he say? He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. It's not do. He didn't talk about doing anything. He said, you shall be a witness. You can't do witnessing. You have to be a witness. And you shall do that in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 118. And then in Proverbs eleven thirty, he says, a life lived loving God bears lasting fruit for the one who is truly wise wins souls. So it takes wisdom to win souls. If you're truly wise, you would know how to win souls. But how does that go about? Jesus himself said to us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So God, Jesus is the source of all wisdom. And when we follow him, he makes us fishes of men. And that's how, what, that's what, if we come to work with this, um, with this attitude, then work, work uh, uh, evangelism works in the workplace. Um, evangelism generally is called proselytizing. Can you do this at work? Well, let's see. This addresses the attempt to convince others of the importance of one's personal belief. It takes various forms, giving of literature, giving of, meet, of meeting invitations, evangelizing by speaking about faith to anyone. An example is a nurse sharing her religious convictions with the patients and offering to pray with them. Can you do this at work? Um, I would say, and, and um, history have said that you can do it, but you need a lot of wisdom. The Great Commission is very clear, according to Matthew 28, Mark 15, and Acts 1.8. But how can it be obeyed in the workplace? Wisdom and discretion is needed. Proverbs 4, 7 to 9 says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Colossians 4 says, uh, four, 5 to 6 says, let your, 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 um, your words be seasoned with salt. Another aspect about witnessing in the workplace is that you need to understand that witnessing is a process, not an event. You know, you witness with your whole life, not just with words. I think it was Solomon who mentioned uh, Francis of Assisi's quote that, you know, uh, you know, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. And then another aspect is to listen in order to win the right to speak. Sometimes we talk too much but we need to be listening. In the workplace, the language is different. It's a different culture. If you do not listen, you cannot speak. And then the fourth aspect is find connection points. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Somebody already talked about context uh, in the, in, in, in the 
as, as an issue when you're evangelizing. Contextualization, what does this mean? It means adapting the communication of the gospel to the forms and expressions of another culture so that mundane obstacles to the gospel may be overcome. Contextualization happens so that the gospel is not seen as foreign to a culture. So, you know, I think it was Scott that talked about us in the church. We're so comfortable. We have our own language, have our own culture. We don't understand that when we go into work, it's a different culture. They speak a different language. And in order for you to bridge that gap, you must be able to speak their language and understand their culture. You might say, you know, are you going to compromise the gospel? No, because it says, however, the content of the gospel must not be changed in this process. Con contextualization has largely been the work of cross-cultural missions. So really, in the workplace, if you're thinking about how can I win my <laughs> colleagues in the workplace, you have to think that it's a different culture. It's a cross-cultural mission that you're about to do. Let's look at the Apostle Paul when he did this. He was the greatest contextualizer. contextualizer. He said, I became Jewish to the Jewish people in order to win them to the Messiah. I became like one under the law to gain the people who were stuck under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. To those who are without the Jewish law, I became like them as one without the Jewish law in order to win them. Although I'm not outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, I became weak to the weak um, to win the weak. I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. He adopted to the different cultures around him. He did not have a one size fits all uh, when he shared the gospel. An example is when he was at, at Athens. Um, another, one aspect that I'm, I'm also going to talk about is the fact that the world is a host, can be a hostile place. And 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 tells us that in the end times, it's going to become increasingly treacherous and dangerous and perilous. So we must know where we're going before we go there. That's why uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God because we're going into battle. When you know that, then you're armed and ready for the fight. So in Athens, the apostle Paul was confronted by an idolatrous culture, deeply provoked. Paul looked for and found connection points in their own culture to share the message of the gospel. What did he do? He quoted their own poets, the Greek poets. He read from the inscriptions on their idolatrous altars in order to find a bridge to speak to them. So he found connection points, he built bridges. Sometimes when we don't understand a culture, we don't understand something, we, we put a wall there. We say that they're of the world and you're not of the world. But God, Jesus, Paul also said that we should be in the world, but not of it. We have to be in it in order to win it. What is the language of the workplace? Equality, diversity and inclusion is going to be very familiar to a lot of people. What is EDI? It is a response to the Equality Act 2010, which aims to protect workers from discrimination or harassment in the workplace. It recognizes nine different characteristics that necessitate protection. One of them, here, they're all listed here. The seventh is religion and belief. 
religion and belief is one of the protected characteristics. So how can we use this as a bridge? How can we use this as a connection point? Well, we can use the diversity framework to start staff networks. What is a staff network? A staff network is a formally established group of employees that get together for various activities. In your respective um, uh, places of work, you will have different um, types of staff networks. Sometimes you have the BAME network, which is the Black, Asian, and, and Minority Ethnic Networks. You might have women's networks. You might have parenting and care networks. You might have disability networks. And sometimes you have faith and, and belief networks or faith and well-being networks. Under those, you are able to put forward a business case. You have to put together a business case to start a Christian group. What does a Christian group do? Number one, they're very inclusive. They're very affirming. They're very relevant to the organization and they're very engaging. The, the, the very purpose of Christian groups is to support one another, to be a place of information, uh, connection point to management concerning maybe religion and belief, and, and, and just to be a, a place where you come together, you share um, issues that are relevant to all of you within that group and then you feed that to management. So you can start a Christian group in your workplace as a staff network. This is the language and this is the bridge that you can cross over in order to make a difference. So um, when I worked at a local authority, I worked for a local authority for 16 years, we started a group there. Uh, we did an alpha, um, um, Jonathan Gwilt talked about the alpha. We, 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 we put together an alpha that the whole organization were aware of, and some of them did attend. What we did our Christianity Awareness Weeks during the Easter period, where we informed the organization. What is the meaning of Christmas? What does the Christian faith mean? That's my alarm going. What does the Christian faith mean? And um, we we did so many things. We we um we had a at Christmas. We put together Christmas carol events, and we just had different talks during different times of the year where we brought people together to talk about different aspects of life generally. So these are some of the things that you can do as a Christian group. This is a list of just two percent of the Christian groups that are that we know um, to Transform Work UK, who is an organization that supports Christian groups. So you can just read them from the screen. HMRC, Office of Public Guardians, Foreign and Commonwealth um, Office in Westminster, um, GlaxoSmithKline, Barclays Bank, um, so many organizations that have already existing Christian groups within them. And these all functions under the uh, diversity framework. So doing this is not alien. It is not alien at all. So when we talk about cross-cultural missions, what does it mean? It means you must be there in order to make a difference. Being a, be, be, having a Christian group gives you a presence. There's such thing as presence evangelism. And you can, when you're in your workplace, 
what you take there is the presence of God and it gives you opportunities to share your faith because people would ask you, why are you different? So some of the things that you can do as a believer in the workplace is be observant, you know, learn the language, learn the culture, be an empathetic listener, be compassionate, build bridges, not walls, be open to dialogue, talk about things rather than, than shut things down. Say, let's talk about it. I don't understand. Tell me more. Be resilient. You know, sometimes you will get knocked back but come right back up again and keep going. Be ready in season and out of season because opportunities would come for you to share the gospel. Be salt and light, add value, serve others, lift others, keep the door open. And when the opportunity arises, share your faith. So these are some of the things that you can do in the workplace. Sometime in May, there's going to be a webinar we pray, uh, that talks about how to start and grow a Christian group in the workplace and how you can engage in the workplace. So we will be talking about that, where we will be sharing more about what it means to start a group, how you can put together a business case and, 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 and using the diversity framework as a means of, of having a presence in your, a Christian presence in your workplace. So I'm going to end on that because I believe my time is up. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Elizabeth. Really appreciated that. For those of you who are interested in this subject, just to let you know that Elizabeth held a webinar two weeks ago and the contents of her slides and some of the discussions are already online at kt.org if you're interested. A full couple hours of really, really good stuff. She was with somebody else from Transform UK. So thank you for that, Elizabeth. I really, really appreciate everyone joining today. We're coming up to the best of a few more minutes. We're going to hear the evangelism from Sarah Moy. But uh, before we actually bring Sarah on, let me just explain what's going to happen here. I appreciated everyone coming on. We are still targeting to finishing around one o'clock in a few minutes. And then we will end the webinar. But just to let you know, we have a bonus. After the webinar ends, we're going to run a 15-minute DVD video for anyone who wants to, to, just as a refresher on the steps of what you would say to someone if an evangelism opportunity came up. Okay, so we'll end. We'll hear from Sarah. Then we will um, we will go on to the video, and it's it's it, this. We will end the end the set webinar, but go on to the video. Open to anyone who would like to stay. Can I just remind you as well that uh, something that Scott said earlier on, there's a wonderful series going on in Kensington Temple at our 2.30 services. Now we have wonderful preaching at all of our services, but in particular, um, we have a series on Christian witness going on right now. So tomorrow at the 2.30 service and for the rest of this month, there are brilliant, brilliant topics where we get to spend a little bit more time. Also, as we get closer into Easter, our plan is to start, start Alpha online on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, before we go into the Easter weekend, we have a big evangelistic concert on Good Friday evening, and then Lola mentioned the Reveal Lounge on Easter Monday evening. So a whole bunch of stuff coming up. You can prayerfully start considering where is God telling you that you're likely to be more, the, the most fruitful possible. So thank you again for that. Let's go over to Sarah and hear Sarah for a few minutes. Tell us a little bit about street evangelism, and then we'll come together again, and Lola will formally end the webinar. Thank you, Sarah. Hi, everyone. 
Um, my name is Sarah. I'm one of the uh, evangelism leaders in KT. Um, I've been asked to come and share what we do when we go out to the street. Um, I know that street evangelism is a bit daunting to many Christians because uh, people think, um, you know, evangelists, they, you know, what comes to mind is uh, Benny Hinn, it's uh, uh, Reinhard Bonke and all that. And then, you know, people get put off. They think, you know, they measure themselves against those uh, big men there. So we call ourselves street witnesses because we stand on the scripture uh, that God has given us in Acts 1, uh, verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So we are witnesses. We can, when we go out there, we are witnessing about what we have seen Jesus do in our own lives. So that qualifies anyone. If you are a Christian, that means Jesus has done something for you. That means you have a testimony. That means you have something to tell someone out there. That means you have uh, uh, answers to questions that would come because people can identify with your story. And then you tell them how you came out of the mess or whatever thing you were going through before you met Jesus. And then God will open doors. You meet these people who, you know, we pray first when we go out, opportunities, divine appointments. So sometimes you meet someone who is experiencing something that you yourself has experienced. And then you found your help through um, salvation or relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you have that opportunity to say, when you look at me like this, I've been in your shoes or I've been even more than, you know, experienced more than what you are experiencing. And can you imagine, you know, how much that can impact somebody? And we don't just give out uh, tracks because yes, we do take tracks and, uh, you know, it's just tradition really. Uh, sometimes I don't even uh, give them out any longer. But, you know, uh, we do take tracks out there. And um, the, the reason is if you can memorize some of the scriptures that we normally use, then you have somewhere to refer to. Or if uh, someone is asking you, you don't have a Bible with you to carry because it's heavy, uh, you know, you can easily take that tract out and, and show to that person. And also you can give it to them to take home and read and refer to, and then go to the Bible or Google or anything, and then uh, read those, those scriptures and then understand more. So that's what we normally do. And uh, as I said, you don't need qualification. Your qualification is being a Christian. You talk about what Jesus did. You know, think of uh, the Samaritan woman. What did she do? She won the whole village just by meeting Jesus at the well. And what did she do when she went to the village? She talked about the man that saved her. She didn't have to memorize Genesis. She didn't have to memorize Acts. She didn't have, she didn't know anything about that. What she knew was that I met someone who told me something that really kicked my heart and touched my heart. And that's what she took to the people and said to them, come and see this man. That's what we do. When, when we go out there, sometimes we don't even carry our Bibles with us in, in our pockets, they're in our bags. But, you know, we talk about what we know Jesus has done for us. You know, come back to the uh, disciples 
of, of Jesus Christ. When they came out of the upper room, what happened? They were talking about the person that they lived with three years on the earth. Everything that he told them came to mind because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter, when he preached, he preached like bringing Jesus to the fore. The people could see Jesus just there when Peter was talking. And, you know, he didn't have to quote scriptures or do anything. He just talked about the man that saved. And they asked him, what shall we do? The same question that came to Paul when he was in prison, you know, when the, the jailer got saved. The jailer said, what must I do? When, when Paul just sang, you know, he just presented Jesus in a song, we are told. You know, this is you just giving people what you got yourself. This is what we do out there. It's fun. It's so much fun. And uh, I've got three uh, testimonies just to, you know, because we've run out of time. I'm, I'm aware. So, you know, uh, street evangelism, most of the time, it depends where you are at. We know that in London, London is full of people that don't live in London. They come to visit. So most of the time, especially in our area of Notting Hill Gate, we meet people who are really passers by. But nevertheless, we preach the gospel and some of most of them get saved. Then we pray to God to take care of them wherever they go, when they go back to your countries. There are quite a few that happen to be living around and um, we, 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 we get them saved. Like there was a guy that, um, uh, that I, can, I can remember of that Rodel uh, uh, met through uh, the guy, it's, it's a son, I think it was a young man, that Rodel uh, worked with the mom uh, at, at his workplace. And then uh, the, the, that young man had um, attempted suicide. And then they, you know, and then the, 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 the colleague opened up to Rodel about uh, the trouble that the son was going through. And then apparently he was admitted somewhere in hospital, I think. And then so they, uh, Rodel visited the, the, the son in the hospital and one thing led to another, that uh, a boy ended up in Rodel's uh, cell. I saw him with my own eyes. I, I believe he's still there. They are, um, uh, 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 two ladies that are in uh, Wendy's cell as we speak and we met them during the lockdown when we were going out with the, uh, the I think it was tier three or, 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 or two when uh, six people could be allowed to, to be together with social distancing uh, this year, last year. So they are still in, in, Wendy, in Wendy's cell. I remember both times that we met those people, I was there. They were just sitting on the bench as we were uh, evangelizing and singing there. And then um, they were approached and they were Christians that were not going to church any longer, uh, different times, not on, on the same day though. And then uh, one of them was homeless and uh, she was living in a hostel and she wasn't happy there. And then we prayed for them and uh, we introduced, you know, invited them to cell or church. And then they did join the, 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 the cell. They are with Wendy as I speak. And there's uh, one lady that I, I met many years. You know, sometimes you get these people that is just a divine appointment. I met her in 2015 and she was in a, somewhere in Shepherd's Bush uh, Station, devastated. She didn't have anywhere to go with her small children. She's uh, Romanian. 
and she's still in my cell even today as I speak from 2015 and from her we got to meet her sister two sisters and the the son the the brother-in-law so everybody they came to Katie I didn't bring photos here uh, I didn't know that I could do that anyway uh, you know they they all came she was baptized they all came we preached to them they all got saved and and even today she's still in my cell we are talking every day and uh, there's uh, two other um two two of my cell members also come out with me and then you know on the street because they see what i do as a cell leader and then they get they get inspired and there's one of my cell leaders that doesn't like coming out but she's evangelistic in another way so she has been uh, looking uh, taking care of people in the community during the lockdown and both these two people had COVID and one of them nearly died. And then she took it upon herself to pray with these people on a daily basis and, uh, you know, encourage them in, in, the, in, in their recovery from, from COVID. And then two weeks ago, she told me that, you know, she, was, she wanted to bring them to my cell, the cell that she attends. And then I said, no, you take them, you start a cell you know, with those two people, you know, so evangelism is wide, is, is very wide. And, 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 and we work with God the way he wants us to work. It's not only going to, to the street and we are not just limited to going to the street as well. We go to the street because maybe we, you know, we can do it, but at the same time, you know, even even where we live, sometimes you can meet uh, people with needs and then you can cater for those needs and people get more attracted by what we do for them. I know that we've run out of time. You know, I ended up, uh, you know, housing a, um, a, a homeless girl um, for, for two weeks in my house. And then I worked with, with the authorities in the council to get her back to Slovakia because she was getting, she got herself in a mess on the street and all sorts of things were happening to her. And she wasn't working, she was now alcoholic. I put her in my own house for two weeks, you know, from street evangelism to my flat. I took it upon myself and it was dangerous, I know, but you know, somebody mentioned the love that compels us. I found myself taking that risk. But at the end of the day, we got hold of her parents and uh, in, in Slovakia, we managed to transport her, trans, transport her back to her country, to a safe place. And if it wasn't because of going out to the street, this lady today, she could have died. That's where she was at the time when we met her. So it is doable. What happens? You just turn up. At one o'clock Sunday, we are starting on March 29th. You just turn up. Uh, we meet in McDonald's and uh, you, you turn up just the way you are. And then we will let you know how to uh, take it from there. You know, you don't need any qualification. You just turn up and just join us and it will flow. So right. this is what we do. And thank you for listening. I know we have run out of time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very good. It's very good reaching out and seeing people really, you know, discovering Jesus and uh, their lives transformed. And it, it's just thank so fulfilling. So thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Sarah. Well, thank you to all of our speakers. And um, we have run out of time. And um, so we are officially finishing now. However, we have a 10 minutes video, not 15, 10 minutes video 
from um, um, the Elim Evangelism Academy um, talking about one of the ways we visually share the gospel message. So um, for anyone that would like to stay behind and watch the 10 minutes video, we are going to show that video now. Um, okay, okay, before... Okay, before Lola, before you close up yes. and before everybody disappears, I just wanted to say thank you very much to everybody. I have uh, watched all the way through and participated um, all the way through and Amanda with me together. So I want to thank you, Lola and Ron, for hosting and all that you did to bring it together. Jonathan, uh, Sarah, your lovely testimony just now, Solomon, uh, Kemi, uh, uh, um, also Scott and everybody else who participated. So I really uh, concur with what has been said. We don't need another lecture or seminar on evangelism. We need to be ignited to do it. So thank you. Thank you very much for that emphasis and Elizabeth's uh, uh, um, contribution about workplace evangelism and the Alpha program. We have so much to offer and so much to do. But I just wanted to myself uh, having been with you throughout today, say thank you, thank you ever so much, and God bless you in all we do for Jesus. Amen. Okay. That's the end. Thank you very much. And we are now, for those that are happy to stay time, we're going to show the video now. Okay, so uh, this first session, we're going to look at some visual ways in how we can share the gospel. The reason why I want to do this is because we are living at a particular time in history where, as someone has said, people uh, listen with their eyes. People listen with their eyes, which is a strange idea. But image uh, is so powerful today. You'll see that in adverts, in uh, in, in branding for various products. You'll see it in magazines, in newspapers. Uh, everything seems to be very image rich. And as, as believers, we want to uh, make sure that how we communicate the good news of Jesus fits into the particular context that we're working in, in our case, 21st century uh, Western world. That's where we're at. So uh, I'm going to show you a couple of um, um, images tonight, a couple of pictorial ways in which we can share the gospel, uh, but also I'm going to give you some time to, uh, to do an exercise with one of your friends sitting around the tables and actually have a go doing this yourself, all right? So what you need to imagine is that I'm sitting in a coffee shop or a pub with uh, my friend, um, let's call him Joe Bloggs. Could call him Archibald Throbnossel. Could call him Felicity Shuffle, or not him, could call her Felicity Shufflebottom. Uh, but we're sitting there, and uh, he or she asks me the question, so Gary, uh, if I wanted to be, well, they probably say something like, if I wanted to be religious, like you, uh, how does that happen? How does that work? Or, you know, if I wanted to find God, how can I find God? You know, they may say it in different ways. And I say to, um, we'll stick with Joe Bloggs rather than Archibald, if that's okay. I would say, well, Joe, that's a great question. And uh, sometimes I find it's easier to show it in a, in a drawing than even just say it with words. So let me just use this scrap piece of paper and let me try and draw a picture that explains it for me. And maybe it'll make sense uh, to you. So first of all, Joe, 
here it is, um, us and God. Now, here's the deal. I believe that when God created human beings, do you know what? How he did it is up for grabs. We don't even need to go there tonight. But when God created human beings, he created us to have a friendship with him. You know, he, he created us to walk hand in hand with him, if you like, to, to just have this ongoing friendship with God. But something happened. The Bible seems to suggest that something happened to break uh, that friendship. And uh, if I just draw these lines in to make the point, okay, th there's like a gap between us and God. Now, I don't mean a physical gap. What these lines are trying to show, this chasm is like a, a relationship gap, a friendship gap between us and God. Now, do you know what, Joe? I think I can show you that that's the situation that you're in right now. If I ask you the question, do you know God? What would you say? And he'll probably at that point laugh and say, no, I don't know God. And I would say, right, well, I think the reason for that is because of something. The Bible calls it sin, okay? That's the reason why human beings don't know God to start with, because of something called sin. Now, here's the problem with this word. So often we misunderstand what it means. We think sin is really awful things like robbing banks or murdering people. And so how could we possibly be guilty of that? Or some people think that sin is such a trivial matter, you know, we've all done a few little things wrong, haven't we, um, that it's not really an issue. But when the Bible talks about this word, if you want to understand what it means, if you want a definition of what sin is, it's really defined by the middle letter in the word. I, okay? So sin means that you and me, what we've done is we've, we've lived for I, for self. We've put ourselves first, other people second, and God last. Or if you like, we've turned our backs on God, and in the words of the great rock and roll of Frank Sinatra, we've done it our way. I did it my way, you know? And so we've broken this friendship with God, and so we don't know him. Now, people try all sorts of things, uh, you know, to get back to God, to, to reconnect with God. Some people think that they'll reconnect with God or that God will accept them simply because they've lived a good enough life. You know, they give money to charity. They, um, they show little old ladies across the road even if they don't want to cross, you know, they do all these good things and they think that sort of builds them up a store of brownie points with God so that when they die, God will accept them. Some people even think it's about being really religious, that if they, you know, um, pray a lot or go to church and things like that, I know not many people do that these days, but some people think that does it. That's, that's how they get to God. But actually, none of those things will work. Now, here's the thing, Joe. If we can't build a bridge from us to God, what's the other alternative? The other alternative, it seems to me, is that if we can't reach God, God reaches us. And the Christian message is that that's exactly what God's done, like this. This is how, how God has bridged that gap. And that's why the cross of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus stands front and center in the Christian faith. So when Jesus died on the cross in some incredible way, he died uh, to take the blame for our selfishness, for our sin, for our wrongdoing, for our rebellion against God, so that that sin gap can be wiped out. It's almost as if when Jesus died on the cross, he was stretching out his arms and taking hold of God with one hand and 
taking hold of us, if we'd accept it, with the other hand, and making a way back to God. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, no one comes to God except through me. So here's the deal. Joe, if you put your trust in what Jesus, the Son of God, did by dying for you, what it means is this. You can cross over and actually come back into a friendship with God. Actually, I'm sorry, Joe, because those arrows are the wrong way around. Uh, they ought to be going the other way from us to God, that we can put our trust in God and cross over and be in friendship with God. So here's the amazing thing. God wants you to know him. Is that something, Joe, that you might be interested in? Does that make any sense to you, Joe? Now, at that point, okay, I'd stop. I'd stop. And I'd look to answer any questions that he's got after that presentation. What this diagram, some of you may have seen it before, is quite a well-known diagram. It's often called the Bridge to Life diagram. And here's my take on it. It's been around for about the last 45, maybe even 50 years now. But I think there are times when God gives a, a tool to his people. And for some reason, it's mega anointed. And uh, this diagram, I think, is something like that. Because I have seen, when I've drawn this picture for people, and I've, at the moment when you draw in the cross, when you draw in the cross as the bridge between us and God, it's almost like a eureka moment. It's as if the lights come on for many people. And I've even, I've even seen people take a sharp intake of breath. <gasps> oh, right, at that point. In fact, I've even seen Christians do it when they haven't seen this before. Now it's like the lights come on. The other thing, of course, is this, that people remember far more what they see than what they hear. So even if you finish your time in the coffee shop or the pub and, uh, and you leave Joe, you have still given the Holy Spirit some ammunition that, he can, that the Holy Spirit can keep preaching the gospel to Joe when he's lying in bed at night looking at the ceiling. Because that picture of the cross bridging the gap between us and God is fixed in his mind. So the Lord can keep working even when you're not there. Does that, that make sense? Let me just remind you in the words of a famous friend of mine, doing it is doing it. Okay, thinking about it is not doing it. Praying about it is not doing it. Doing it is doing it. And uh, well, you could start by praying even this, this evening as you go home. Lord, um, show me an opportunity even this week where I could just sit with someone, a work colleague, a friend, a member of my family, and say, hey, I'm doing this academy over the course of this year, and uh, we just got taught these very simple diagrams that explain the Christian faith uh, last night or the other night. Can I just show them to them very quickly? Just take a couple of minutes. And most people say, yeah, go on then. And it gets you into a conversation, which is the point, all right? Thank you. <laughs> we have come to the end today. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for giving up um, two hours and 20 minutes of your time this morning. And a very big thank you to those who um, logged on from 10 o'clock to pray with us as we prepared. And uh, thank you to all of our speakers today. Uh, Pastor Kemi, thank you very much. Vai Thomas, thank you very much. Um, Judy, thank you very much. Scott, thank you. Uh, Dr. Solomon, thank you. Oh boy. Um, Sarah, thank you. Jonathan Greet, thank you. Elizabeth, thank you. And most importantly, thank you, Holy Spirit, for making it all possible. Thank you, everyone. Over to you, Ron. Amen. Thank you so much, Lola. And again, uh, really, really appreciated you joining us today. 
have a really blessed Saturday. And as Pastor Colin encouraged us, let's do it. Let's, let's do something with this, okay? We're going to be offering you many more opportunities over the next few weeks. But let's just plan to do something with this. And may God bless us and bring forth much, much fruit. Have a wonderful Saturday. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, um, bye, Julie. Bye, thank you. Bye, thank you so much. Thank you, Ron and Lola. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> thank you. See you thank soon. You. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Jonathan, Trudy, thank you. I hope you all had a good time. <laughs> thank you so much, Lola and Ron. Thank you. That was that was wonderful. Thank you.